Let me begin by asking uh, you an important, important question. What must a person do to be right before God? You see, most people in their heart of hearts know two things. First, they know that there is a God. And and second, they know that they will one day give an account to him. So, what must a person do to be right when they stand before him? It's actually the goal of religion. It ought to be the question any rational person asks. If there is a God, and there is, and if I will stand before him, you will, and if my eternity hangs in the balance, it does, What must I do to be right? That question plagued a young German law student born in November 10th, 1483 to Hans and Margaret Luther. The next day, per church instruction, he was baptized because, you see, that was the first step in doing something to be right before God. That next day, November 11th, was St. Martin's Day, and So his parents named him after that saint. As he grew up, by all counts, Martin Luther was a serious and sensitive young man. His father, in the mining industry, had saved to send his son to the university in Erfurt. There, uh, in remarkably short order, bright Martin earned his bachelor's and his master's um, degrees. His father's plan, you see, was for him to, uh, this oldest son, to earn a law degree and eventually become a lawyer. Dutifully, Martin enrolled in law school. One day, after a visit home, he was on his way back to school, and he was caught in a serious thunderstorm. The date was July 2nd, 1505. He was 21 years of age. A close lightning strike knocked him to the ground. So scared was Martin that he cried out, Saint Anne, help me. I will become a monk. That's kind of interesting. First, why St. Anne? Well, she was supposedly the mother of the Virgin Mary and also the patron saint of minors. He was quite used to praying to her. Notice that his initial terrified response was to cry out not to God, but to a saint. Notice second, in a time of terror, he made a vow. I'll become a monk. Why? Because he saw this brush with death, a a wake-up call. You ever had one of those? What must I do to be right before this righteous God? I'll try really hard. (laughs) I'll become a monk. He sold his possessions to include his very expensive law books, presented himself to the local austere Augustinian monastery in Erfurt. As we saw last week, in his monkery, he tried to be right before God. Perhaps no one tried harder. Through his constant vigils and and prayers and and fasting, in fact, he he says that he so abused his body in fasting that that later when he had intestinal issues, he he, he attributed it to those early days as a monk. Through his self-denial, he lived in a cell, literally, in a monastery, no heat, and he would refuse to use that thin blanket that they gave him because he thought that by suffering he could make himself right before God. Through the sacraments, to include constant confession, Luther tried, but he could not find the peace for which his heart longed. 
Once his confessor, Johann von Staupitz, thought maybe a pilgrimage to Rome, the holy city of the mother church, might do this young plagued priest some good. So in November 1510, accompanied by another priest, Luther made the 800-mile journey on foot to Rome, November, which means he traveled over the Swiss Alps on foot in winter. A month later, upon seeing Rome from a distance, Luther fell to the ground and and cried out, Holy Rome, I salute thee. (laughs) But then he arrived in the city. And he was appalled by the vile, blatant immorality and corruption that he witnessed even in the church. He tells a number of stories. I will share one. He, he, when you're a visiting priest, you're, you're allowed to, 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 to conduct the mass. And this is good for the priest, you see, because that's earning him some points. And, and so the priest there did as many as they could over and over really, really, really fast. But Luther took this responsibility very seriously, and so he was very meticulous with it. And, and there was a priest standing there as, he, as Luther was doing the mass. He said, will you please hurry up and send the child back to his mother? You see, in the mass, the, the, the elements became the, the body and blood of Christ. Send him back to his mother. Still trying, Luther made his way to St. John Lateran Church. It had been the, pa- the papal home and most important Catholic church for for centuries before St. Peter's Basilica, you see. Not not only that, there was the Scalia Sancta, the the, the holy stairs there said to be relocated from Jerusalem, you know, Pilate's Judgment Hall. In 326, Augustine's mother, St. Helen, brought them there. Uh, These were the very stairs containing, can you believe it, the very blood of Christ. And so per instruction... Trying to be right before God, Luther ascended the 28 marble stairs on his knees, kissing each stair as he went, meditating on the suffering of Christ, reciting the Our Father, the Ave Maria, other things. He said when he got to the top, he stood up, looked around and said, who knows if it's true? What must a person do to be right before God? By the way, in 1908, Pope Pius X attached a plenary indulgence. Remember, a plenary indulgence is that which forgives you of all your sins. Uh, He attached this indulgence to completing the the ascension of the holy staircase as long as it was preceded by confession and communion. When I was at the Lateran Church last month to see these stairs, many were ascending on their knees. The sign at the bottom of the stairs to the left of the stairs um, read, I took a picture. The following indulgences may be received in accordance with the usual conditions. Plenary indulgence on all Fridays of Lent and once more each year on occasion of one's choice. A, A partial indulgence, reducing your time, not eliminating your time on all other days of the year as long as one is sincerely repentant of one's sins. What must a person do? I want you to understand the Catholic Church still teaches indulgences. This was last month. Back to Luther, disillusioned, he made his way back to the Augustinian monastery in Erfurt. 
that Staupitz had been transferred to Wittenberg, and so in 1515, uh, he called for Luther to come to the, to the new university there. I mean, he could earn his bachelor's in Bible and his doctorate in theology and, and teach in the university and, and pastor the, the people in, in Wittenberg at the Castle Church. Why, he'll be so busy, he won't have time to despair in this, this incessant self-examination trying to be right before God. Study and teach, Luther did, through the Psalms, Galatians, and Romans for his first three years. And it was while studying Romans that he had somewhat of a spiritual breakthrough, some question whether he had truly become a believer at this point, but it was, it was Romans 1.17 that struck, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now stop right there because Luther did. Upon first reading the text, Luther despaired about this righteousness of God. I mean, how can an unrighteous man, especially like me, be made right, you see, to stand before such a righteous God? Have you ever had that question? You should. What must a person do? It was not until later that he was thunderstruck yet again, this by the rest of the words, of the text, the righteous man shall by, live by his faith. God began to do a work in Luther's heart. Justification, you see, was not to be found in climbing staircases. It was not to be found in a sacramental system. It was not to be found in works, whether the works of the law or through some works prescribed by the Roman church. Justification was to be found by grace alone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is incredibly good news. It was that third year then, 1517, October 31st to be exact, Luther posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. He was questioning the abuses of, of the indulgences and, and, frankly, the Pope's authority to forgive sins through said indulgences. How does the Pope have the authority to dispense the treasury of merit? You see, he was at least beginning to understand that salvation is through faith alone. You remember the 95 Theses was not meant to be a public document, but an invitation written in Latin, an invitation to his colleagues to debate, to discuss his 95 propositions. But someone translated the document into German and, and through the use of that printing press, disseminated it th throughout Germany and such that most Germans had either heard of or read them in a two-week period of time, and the Protestant Reformation was born. What must a person do? As you well know, during these five Sundays of October 2017, um, we have been remembering those glorious truths once lost but now recovered in the Reformation. They can be summed up in the five Sola, Sola Scriptura, Sola Christus, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, and Sola Deo Gloria. Uh, that, that is Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and the glory of God alone. This morning we arrive at the fourth of those, faith alone. What must a person do? It's the question of the ages. It's, 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 the, it's the most important question you will ever ask yourself. The church had gotten off track. They had created an entire sacramental system by which people did things 
to earn salvation. How is a person made right before God? By keeping these works that we prescribe. Salvation was no longer by grace through faith in Christ alone. No, you keep our system and you'll be all right. And and we've seen that by introducing works into the equation, the, the church held people in incredible bondage with no assurance of salvation. Try hard. Go ahead. You might make it, but likely the best that you can do is millenniums, maybe longer, in purgatory, burning off sin not completely removed. That's hopeful. It's no wonder Luther abused himself trying, to desperate, trying desperately to remove or at least reduce his suffering in the fires of purgatory. So we go back to the question with which we began. What must a person do to be right before God? The church said, work really hard. And the reformer said, what must a person do? Nothing, save faith alone. And even faith is a gift of His grace. Now, you should know that the Catholic Church, in response to the Reformation, held the Council of Trent from 1545 to 1563. In it, they addressed a number of issues that came about as a result of the Reformation to include this issue of justification and this concept of grace alone. In Canon 14, they said, listen carefully. If anyone says that by faith alone the impious or the ungodly is justified in, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order uh, to the obtaining of the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema, accursed, excommunicated. I want you to know the church still teaches the same thing today. Further, the council of Trent pronounced an anathema, a cursing on, all, on those who claim to be justified by faith alone apart from the sacraments. Luther, however, called this doctrine, I'll let you read the Latin. It says, it is the article upon which the church stands or falls. What must a person do? It's the most important question that you'll ever ask yourself. The answer to that question, upon the truth thereof, this church will either stand or fall. Luther says. He's right. We have seen through our study that these five solas are interconnected. God's free gift of grace provided through the all-sufficient work of His Son, Jesus Christ, comes through faith. Not that faith is a work, but simply the means by which we receive God's grace. I'll come back to that. We, We can simply define faith as trust. Trust in the gospel. Trust that God in the person of, uh, of Jesus Christ took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a death he did not thereby deserve to die, bearing in his body our sins, not his own. He had none to bear, our sins, but being raised again the third day. And by trust in, the all, in his all-sufficient work, our sins can be expiated. Remember, that means removed. But by trust in His work, we can be justified. That is, we can be declared righteous, having received the very righteousness of Christ. He gets our sin, we get His righteousness, and we do nothing because He did it all. We do not work, we simply believe. 
Righteousness is received as a free gift of His grace through faith. Salvation does not come from looking to our own works of righteousness. We have none. It comes through looking outside ourselves to another, the person and work of Christ. So important that we understand the difference. The church taught that we receive the grace of Christ in order to transform us and then by our righteous work earn justification. The reformers taught that we are declared righteous in justification and receive the righteousness of Christ. In other words, the church taught that we are counted righteous because of our works. The reformers taught that we are counted righteous because of Christ. So what is the biblical basis for this Faith alone. It's all over the Bible. Consider a few verses. We could look at the Gospel of John. He tells us why he wrote his Gospel. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Eternal life comes through believing. In fact, John uses the word, the verb believe 98 times in his Gospel. He starts his Gospel with the word believe, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. No mention of works. Belief or trust, that is faith in John, is clearly necessary for salvation. But, but, but what about this concept of faith alone? Is it only faith or faith plus works, as the Catholic Church teaches? The book of Romans and Galatians deal decidedly with this issue. In fact, the purpose of the book of Galatians, one of the very first books that Paul ever wrote, um, was battling Judaizers who said that faith plus works, that is, keeping the law of Moses, were necessary for salvation. Uh, In chapter 2, he writes, Paul writes rather redundantly, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. I think he's trying to get a point across. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It seems he does have a point. Salvation is by faith and not by works. It goes on in chapter 3. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or counted or imputed to him as righteousness. Therefore, be, uh, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and me, by the way, by faith preached the gospel beforehand, that is, before the law was ever even given to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer, not the worker. For as many are of the works of the law are under a curse. You want to get there by your works? Know that you're under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all of the things written in the book of the law to perform them. You want to get there by your works? Then you keep the law perfectly is what Paul is saying. How's that working for you? Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What must a person do? 
believe. Seems clear that salvation is by grace through faith alone. A couple of passages from Romans 3 and 4. Last week we looked at chapter 3. It bears reading again. But now apart from the law, it's not to be found in the law. It's not to be found in doing anything. The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all of sin, fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. And in his trans- uh, translation into German, in 1522, Luther adds the word alone. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith alone. Not actually in the text, but it captures the meaning of the text apart from the works of the law. Justified by faith. In the next chapter, he writes, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, uh, forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he can boast about it. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He didn't work. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but a payment. You want to work? You'll get what you work for. You'll receive what you earn. But to the one who does not work but believes, in him who justifies the ungodly, the faith is credited as righteousness. This is incredibly good news. Again, while we don't see the words faith alone, clearly we see that a person is justified by his faith and faith is credited, imputed to him as righteousness. To be clear, I want to make this perfectly clear. Faith is not the ground of our justification. It is the grace of God through the finished work of his son that saves us. In other words, faith does not save us. Christ does. Faith is the instrument or the means by which we lay hold of Christ. Faith saves only in that it unites us to our saving Christ. couple of quick passages, Ephesians 2, you know, grace, we've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works. Titus 3, he saves us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. There, there are many more that we could read. I think we get the point. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we do very quickly have to address a significant challenge to this teaching. The, the only place in the New Testament that the words faith alone appears is in James chapter 2. And, and when you read it, you're going to say, <laughs> wait just a minute. James just said that we are not justified by faith alone, and you will be right. That is what it says. In fact, early in his life, Martin Luther called James a right strawy epistle. I'm not sure exactly what he meant by right strawy epistle, uh, unless he meant it deserved to be burned. Luther struggled. I do know this, that Luther struggled with James because of the passage we are about to read. Look at it. What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? The implied answer is nope. If a brother or sister is well clothing or in, da- in need of daily food, and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? 
Even so, if it, uh, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. It's of no value is the idea. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. That's good. So you, you have a couple of beliefs there that are good. You, 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 you believe in the true and the living God, good for you. Even the devils believe that and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by his work? What? Paul just told us he wasn't justified by his works. James says he was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned him as righteous. He even quotes Paul's verse. He was called the friend of God. You see then, look at verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Th that verse just undid my entire series. <laughs> Catholics are right. person is justified by faith and works not so fast. The point James is making very simply is this. A person is justified by faith alone, but faith that justifies is never alone. In other words, works are not the cause of justification. They are, however, the result of the proof of justification. A person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, who is trusting Jesus and him alone for his or her salvation, is a new creation, and his or her life will prove it. If you say you are, listen very carefully to me, if you say that you are a Christian and the only time you act like it is from 9.45 till 11.30, whenever time we get done, and this is the only time you act like it, you've got a problem. James says you're not a believer. That kind of faith is dead. So faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. Jesus taught the same truth when he said things like, by, your by their fruit you will know them. What fruit do they see? Listen to what Luther said in his introduction to Romans, even as he expressed his dislike for James. This 1522 edition, as he, as he pegs James, he writes this about Romans. It's incredible. It could be written as the introduction to James. Luther stated that saving faith is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works are to be done. But before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does, listen, anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. This is the illustration that he used. He said, we, we get a fire, both heat and light come from it. They are not the same thing, but they cannot be separated. So also good works. Faith alone justifies, but faith that saves is never alone. Out of time. What I want you to hear today is this. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is not and never has been and never will be by works. The answer to the question, what must I do to be right before God is simply this. Listen, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to close this in prayer. We are out of time after you'll be dismissed. But I do want to invite you to believe. Stop trying to figure out what you must do and believe the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners such as you. Ask him to forgive you and he will. Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. First, we thank you for his person, who he is, your very son, God in the flesh. We thank you that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that he died a death he did not deserve, was raised the third day, and that by simple trust in his finished work, our sins can be removed. Thank you for doing that at great cost to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.